0: Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. There's no doubt about it, humans have had a huge impact on our planet's diverse ecosystems. We are selfish sons of bitches whose primary goal has always been to streamline our struggle for survival. Well, we nailed that, and now it's time to get responsible with how we sustain our existence. According to Bobby Gill of Savory Institute, Practicing Regenerative Agriculture promotes the health of the animals that we consume. And when the animals are living their best life, they in turn promote the health of all of the flora and the fauna in the surrounding area. Bobby throws a ton of data our way, making it impossible not to look at how you've been voting with your dollar at the local grocery store. And if that's not enough new information, Texas' idea for hard lard may just be the next hot paleo cocktail. That's right. Combine your favorite animal fat with preferred liquor and you've got yourself a hard lard crowd pleaser. I can barely say it. Hard lard crowd pleaser. Hard lard crowd pleaser. (laughs) Mmm. Bacon, grease and tequila, anyone? Here's episode 316.
1: The what our local coffee shop calls the Tex McQuilk. It's a decaf soy latte, three pumps vanilla. It's a chai oat milk latte. Mm-hmm. So that's option one. Option two, of course, is to wear women's Keds. <laughs> option three is both. And guess what we have here today, folks, on another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Ing, 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 oh, ing, I get ing, ing, from this ing, guy. ing. This is Power Athlete Radio, brought to you by Women's Keds Vans. I'm a co-host... Luke, Texas giggling like his soy latte. Well,
2: you know, when you drink that many soy lattes, you tend to giggle like a young girl.
1: And ladies and gentlemen, that's the voice of John Wellborn. Not to be confused with Jean Wellborn. You know what I tried to get the other day (laughs) when we were were at Fort Hood working with that guy with the, what were you calling Stretch? Yeah. I was trying to get like a side by side and like click, click where I could Photoshop your face on him and be like, I found Jean-Walbornet <laughs> because <laughs> this fucking guy was six foot six, 150 pounds.
2: Uh, he claimed to be 165, but not he, he went, no way.
1: No way, dude. And I'm like, man, that would be a great, like, ah, didn't get it though. Yeah.
2: He, uh, yeah, I, I don't know his name. And when he tried to tell me, I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to remember it. Your name is Stretch.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You are Stretch. We will see you soon. <laughs> yeah.
2: I told him, I was like, man, I'm going to need you to put on at least 100 pounds by the yep. time I, next time I see you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's like, I eat all the time. I eat at McDonald's four times a day. I'm like, I want you to get a big bottle of olive oil and a shot glass. And every meal, you got to do a shot of olive oil. Is he going to do it? Probably not.
1: But would it work? Probably. Yeah. I think what I tell him, I'm like, you need to fucking squat and deadlift every day and eat a porterhouse. I think that'll get you in nah, a
2: good spot. I told him, if you ate McDonald's three times a day and you drank a gallon of whole milk and did a shot of olive oil with every meal... You'd probably be okay.
1: I mean, you gain weight. I'm not sure how your gut, your gut
2: would hold up. Well, he's probably you know he's probably in the army. He's probably used to eating some like awful eh, stuff. So he's probably not like us with these you know tender guts. Yeah. Speaking of guts, did you, gut. did, did you guys get your uh, gut biome test done? So I I, I got a scoop
1: today. I just hit man. I haven't haven't had time or didn't make time to you know poop and scoop. It, uh, <laughs> like pooping, just poop in your hand. Poop and scoop. Yeah, it's called a poop and scoop. Yeah. Well my plan was just <laughs> to shit on the office floor and, you know <laughs> gives me plenty of room to scoop <laughs> Who's I did have it with me, though. <laughs> Who's shit you shit in the fryer. <laughs> sh- so it's longevity, <laughs> right? Shit, I think the longevity group yeah. is uh, oh, is who Thorne is working with. And we, as some of our listeners probably know, and po- folks who have been to the symposium, Thorne supported the shit that we've done. Uh, actually, we, uh, we have a coupon code we can distribute. I don't know why we don't talk about it. But if you just put power in at checkout on Thorne, I think you get 10% off. Yeah. Power. Cool. All uppercase, maybe. All lowercase, I can't remember. But... We got linked up with them at SummerStrong. Mm -hmm. They just kicked off a group called Longevity, who's like gonna vertically integrate this at home uh, testing kit process that I guess is like a new popular thing. And the first one they started with was the gut biome deal. And they've got, they take like this, I was reading about it, there's like this 16S testing protocol that people tend to use now. They're doing this like multi level shotgun analysis that gets you down to like the nitty gritty. And uh, that's what's in their product. So they, they hooked us up. We're going to do a gut biome comparison. Yep. Live on a podcast. Live on a podcast. And like so I, I think there's three categories here. There's one, obviously, healthy gut biome award probably goes to the guy over here who's been paying attention for the past decade while Tex and I were in fucking college drinking. You were drinking natural light? I was drinking uh, Keystone Jenny, Light.
3: Jenny Light from Geneseo, <laughs> uh, New York. It sounds awful. $8.30 pack.
1: Wellburn's over here <laughs> drinking hard lards. <laughs> More on that well, later, uh, people. Stay tuned.
2: I, I, uh, j- I just saw Inky, uh, Tom Inkledon, and I did a, um, a three-day stool test with him, too, that I'm going to run in parallel. And it was funny because on Instagram I posted a picture of the uh, longevity. And some guy was like, you know, tried to like give me this like, oh, you know, it all comes down to analysis and the people, you know, isn't very good. And my comment was like, man, maybe you need better friends. And of course, he's like, well, are you saying that Lane Norton and uh, John Berardi and uh, who else? The other guy, uh, Andy Gliffin or uh, Galpin, you know, uh, you know, aren't, you know, smart. And I was like, dude. First of all, they're nutrition guys and one's an exercise physiologist. And stop having heroes. Uh, and stop having heroes. Yeah. Uh, two, you obviously didn't list inkling on in there because if anybody that understands the gut biome as it relates to like yeah. uh, cancer and all this other stuff, I mean, he's pretty much uh, either he's the guy or knows the guy. I mean, he, he sent me all the research that dude did on like the bacteria for the mouth and the tongue. And I'm saying this on the podcast. Don't fucking email asking for me to send it to you. So I'm just putting that out there.
1: Don't do it. <sighs> but we're going to do healthiest gut biome. We're going to do most fungi, pathogens, and viruses in the gut. And then there's a third one, I think. So we all have a chance to win. Most Modelo.
3: <laughs> I hope.
1: There's <laughs> unusual I I kind of hope like, here.
2: <laughs> everything's wrong with me because then I could be like, oh, man. <sighs> I, wasn't, I, I wasn't able to hit that weight today. You know, I got this gut biome issue.
3: Ooh, good one. I, I've, I've been looking, you know, I'm looking well, for a crutch. The problem is, is they're going to be like, your gut's perfect. And I'll be like, fuck. Well, I after we no- did the, the jaw alignments with Dr. Greg, he's like, man, text yours is perfect. So I have no excuse to why my numbers are not as great as y'all's. And
1: my, Maybe it's those Lego feet and those women's <sighs> shoes. Uh, but the jaw, perfect. Dr. Did he Greg, say
2: perfect? Yes. Said one of the best he's ever seen. Well, that doesn't mean perfect. I mean, he sees a lot of schlubs. He's blind, but, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, I just wanted to know, if you had that perfect jaw structure, why weren't you able to go heavier on the RDLs today? I did my best. It was oh my gut biome. Ah, that's, that's what I'm secretly <laughs> hoping. And then some dude on there was like, oh, look out for that H. pylori. And I'm like, oh, God. that's yeah, uh, H. Pull sucks, too. Yeah, no, the H. pylori is a... Um, uh, Uh, I can't remember exactly what it is, but I know that when I researched the H. pylori, it had to do with, like, uh, was it microplasmic pneumonia? There was a bunch of weird shit. So when that guy put that in, I'm like, oh, that ain't good.
1: So I'm eager to see what that all fucking shakes out to be. This episode is brought to you by the Power Athlete Symposium, people. If you want to have a super fun time with a whole bunch of healthy gut biomes, head to Austin, Texas, December five. Six, seven. That's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Hey, why is six afraid of seven? Seven, eight, nine. Yeah, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. Everyone knows that. I, Did you know that?
2: L- nice belt. L- no, what that's, what, that's what zero said to eight. Oh.
1: Mm. <laughs> Tex. If you're going to eat all those kid snacks, you have to at least know some kid jokes. Yeah.
2: So Just, I, tr- I tried to arm my daughters with like two jokes that they could always remember that are funny regardless of how, of your age. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, th- those were it
1: back on the symposium people last year the year prior since we've been in texas we've had to scale back the practical session to only a small group of attendees this year everybody attending the power athlete symposium will have access to multiple practical sessions what Mm -hmm. mind blown bitches sonic boom yeah yeah we are currently in process of selecting speakers Keep your eyes peeled on social media or head to events.powerathletehq.com slash symposium. And there you can see all the information as it's released. You can sign up for email updates. People, it is unlike Power Athlete to come in and do something any less better than the previous year.
2: I was going to say it's it's not within our guidelines to do something that's not better than
1: it was the year before you show up and you do better than yesterday it's just that simple this year's gonna be fucking sweet so get in early we have a little early bird special you sign up early there's only there's limited tickets there people there's limited tickets you sign up early you get a free swag pack and once that's gone it's gone We'll have a bunch of merch at the shop or at the event. You can always get that stuff there. We're going to have awesome sponsors. They're going to be kicking in. We're going to have great speakers. It's going to be epic. Heart of downtown, December 5th, 6th, and 7th, events.powerathletehq.com slash symposium. Mm. Go there and make it happen. If anyone has ever wondered what hard lard is. Oh, yeah. Do we have an episode for you? I thought that was
2: where, um, you know, guys would pour liquor in Texas belly button and slurp it out. Isn't that hard, Lard?
1: <laughs> no, that's, um, man, I wish I was prepared for that. I could come up with something, but I don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that there would, that that was that's actually, a a, uh,
2: there was actually something in the, in, in like the Naperville, uh, mafia. Oh, uh, bro, shot. Yeah, <laughs> bro, shot. Lay down. Uh, I need you to cup your belly button a little so I can get a big one. Yeah, bro,
1: shot. Yeah, a fuzzy
2: navel. Yeah, like you slurp it out of a out of a belly button. Tevis, lay down. You got a big belly.
1: No, ladies and gentlemen, we have gone so far off the track of what our guests came to talk about. You're gonna, your fucking heads are gonna a explode couple of times, <laughs> like three times. And the great part is, we just stopped. He's like, so here's what we were talking about. <laughs> and then it's great, Bobby Gill's on the show. Yeah. Uh, Tex, you know Bobby from back in the day.
3: Yeah, I've known Bobby for about ten years, man, he's had quite a journey, but it's all about quality meat as long as I've known him.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So we make it. So some what's beef- he
1: spending time with you for? <laughs> quality meat?
3: <laughs> he was a he was a member of Cali and I's gym and we did our damnedest to talk him off the ultra marathon train but then eventually his body caught up with him. I yeah, totally, we
2: I totally forgot that Callie was there so that's how he yeah. was imitating Callie and I was like man yeah. do you just know her from you know from uh, you know like the podcast like all like the you know the the street people in Seattle that know Callie from on the street wire uh, on the street wire like you know they got these burner
3: phones and like hey Hinsman's on the uh, power athlete radio jump on that shit yeah, but eventually he took my training advice like four years later, hopped on Field Strong when we dropped that, and now he's, he's back. But he's doing cool things. He started Cupid Undie Run, so anyone that's ever done that, you know who Bobby is, but he's moved on and taken his talents to... Cupid too. Undie Run. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a big deal across America. But anyway, so he took his talents to Savory Institute, and he's doing a lot of things, working and connecting and uh, just all the back-end stuff, but he's incredibly knowledgeable about all the cool processes that are in place to empower farmers
1: yeah it's all about regenerative regenerative agriculture so you're going to learn a shitload about that and hopefully change your perspective on shit and then when you go to the market you look for some shit (laughs) well you know how
2: you do the regenerative agriculture it involves shit actually that's a pun so it's a lot of poop talk so far yeah that's good we got a lot of gut biome we got a lot of uh
1: poop dung we got a lot of stuff so let's learn about some dung let's learn about hard lard and let's learn about regenerative agriculture with old Bobby Gill, what do you say?
4: Let's do it. Go, go. Perfect. So, Bobby,
1: what's cooking, man?
4: Hey, guys. Uh, good to be here. All right.
1: Well, you're technically not here. You're there, but you well, know, but he, he's, he, he's kind of here
2: in spirit. Like he's like it's like
4: the royal wait, week. He has been here. Yes. So he's I have. He hasn't always I been passed there through once. That's right. I was there what like a year, year and a half ago. I was coming through to Paleo FX, and, and right. Tex should be around.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that was over a year ago because so wasn't um, uh, the Paleo Nerd Fest pretty recently? No, well,
1: uh, I think two years ago, or like the two events ago.
2: Yeah, it was. Yeah, a year plus because it yeah, was just recent. Year and a half. Yeah.
1: Paleo Nerd Fest. Aren't you a Paleo FX alumni no i refuse to speak you've never spoke at uh, FX? No,
2: i was supposed to speak at the inaugural one and uh i didn't because Oh, and I,
1: i'm thinking ancestral ancestral health symposium uh,
2: they they asked me to speak but uh the dude one didn't want to pay for my room didn't want to pay for my ticket and uh wanted me to like buy like a booth so i was like
4: huh how about no yeah i hear you i i'm going to uh not contribute to that conversation, I guess, because we, we had a booth there this year. Um, and it was actually really helpful. Uh, a lot of the folks that, that came through around to our booth. Actually, we had, um, a presidential candidate, uh, Tim Ryan from Ohio. He's the, yeah. one of the million Democrats, uh, running for president, but he was walking around the trade show floor and he stopped by the savory Institute booth and actually had some really good chats with him uh he called me the other night to talk some communication strategy stuff he's a big supporter of regenerative agriculture oh uh, nice. so that's kind of cool to see uh presidents talking regenerative ag finally
2: no it's uh it's long overdue i mean um geez i sidebar i, I got embroiled like i've I purposely don't do this, but uh, I got embroiled in, like, two arguments on Facebook recently. One of them has to do with square bodies, where this guy was uh, shitting on NV4500s. Don't, uh,
1: don't you talk meat or trucks?
2: Uh, Fucking basically, when it comes down to, like, square bodies, this guy was like, ah, the, the NV4500, you know, this. And I'm like, are you out of your mind? Like, I have those in multiple trucks. We, we have them in multiple trucks. And, like, uh, the guy was an idiot. The other one was um, uh, this guy tried to—I I posted something, and he's like, you know— um, uh, the way they treat animals uh, on ranches and farms, and like went through like this total, you know, typical uh, straw man vegan argument about how you know you guys raise animals and somehow all the ranchers do nothing but abuse these animals, which kind of blows my mind. Seeing is that the ranchers raise these animals and these are their cash crop, and that bringing in the the healthiest, strongest, uh, you know, best animals possible increases their cash flow. But there's this weird narrative where people think like. Uh, that, you know, that, uh, ranchers and farmers are just abusing these animals left and right. And, you know, this is, you know, this is systematic abuse of animals. And then he, and then I, I, I thought he was fucking around cause his next comment had to do with, uh, you know, the animal production contributing to methane, which was destroying the environment. And at that point I was like, either you're a moron or this is a fucking, you're a troll because, uh, there were. Three times as many ruins uh, on this planet pre-Columbian era, especially in North America, yep. and on yep. top of it, like I've I've been to the ranches, we've like. Uh, When you go out and you visit the ranches, the animals are well taken care of because this is how these guys make their money. That's like us saying, hey, you know what? We're going to write extremely shitty programs just because we're these fucking awful people. And uh, it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense. Like, wouldn't it make sense to like raise like the best animal you could to like take them to market
4: and and, Mm -hmm. like uh, produce the most so they provide the most? You can also take that a step further. It's not just about providing the animal that you're raising with the best life possible. You know, they're going to have an absolutely perfect life every day until their last at the very last second. And then they're going to go out quick. They're not going to know what happened. So it's a total stress-free life. But when those animals are properly managed, what they're doing is they're creating a better ecosystem. Those ecosystems provide habitat for more than just the livestock that live on that land. I mean, there's deer and fauna and snakes and rats and mice and ground nesting birds and all sorts of other animals that depend on our grassland ecosystems. And so the ranchers who are raising these animals the right way by practicing regenerative agriculture, they're not just doing the right thing for those animals and for their own businesses. They're doing the right thing for that ecosystem on the whole and all of the other life that depends on it. And the important thing is is that grazing animals are the only type of animal that can sustain health of that ecosystem. They are the tool for cycling those nutrients back into the soil for making sure that the grasses are thriving and sequestering carbon out of the atmosphere down below. Like that's the only way you can do that is with a ruminant animal who can digest the cellulose of the grass and turn that energy that we have an infinite amount coming from the sun turn that into calories that we can ultimately use and use that as a tool for regenerating the ecosystem. If you take those animals off the land, the landscape is going to die. The grasses turn brown and oxidize and that prevents other new grasses from growing. You eventually get all the grasses dying off and then you get bare ground. Bare ground is bad because it erodes away. It leaches carbon out into the atmosphere. It eliminates the habitat for all these other animals like the, the reductionist mindset of farmers and ranchers are only doing this for their own business and only doing it to make money. And they don't care about the environment, I think is an argument that it, it needs to go. Oh, farmers dude. and ranchers are the only stewards of the environment that we can have for grasslands, which represent one third of the earth's surface.
1: So Bobby, for, for our listeners here, you know, the ones who don't, don't often call upon the term sequestering and talk about cellulose, uh, like what, what compare and contrast the two approaches that we're, we're talking about for folks and then, you know, dig into what y'all are doing.
4: Mm -hmm. Sure. So like, think back to what the planet looked like before humans came along and screwed everything up. Like, text. let's look at North America.
1: Flat? flat nice and <laughs> flat?
3: Oh, yeah. The flat earth. Go on, Bobby. Oh,
4: yeah, yeah, Well, Well, text
3: The fact that you earth. believe in
4: flat
2: earth, it just... It,
3: <laughs> the it, fact that you believe I believe in flat earth. Well, I think, I think
2: secretly you believe in flat earth. I just think that you're afraid to really mm-hmm. come forward because you know that we'll just beat you to death with that bottle.
1: And I can't believe that you believe <laughs> that he thinks that you believe that he <laughs> believes that you believe in the flat earth.
2: Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's one too many <laughs> believes. Like, here, here's the part that hurts my brain on the flat earth, right? Like, uh, not to go off on a tangent, but like, the, fa- the fact that every one of their arguments are these like elaborate conspiracy arguments that were, like, uh, there was a dude, like, 3,000 years ago that had two obelisks that basically figured out the circumference of the Earth. And, like, uh, like the guy was using, like, obelisks to do this thing, like, thousands of years ago, and they knew about it. Like, the Sumerians knew the Earth was round. Like, it's, it's unreal. Like, I'm just... Shills. <sighs> no, I, I, I just wonder if it's, like, a really, really bad joke that, like, has just gone too far. And then the problem is it's kind of like... Um, I know you guys don't know this, but there was this deal called SenCal, And it it started in central California. And what it was, was where these guys were putting spacers on the wheels of their trucks and like spacing them out real far. Mm -hmm. And they were, I think they did it as a joke. And then uh, a bunch of hillbillies from like Florida, North Carolina, and all over the South down here thought it looked real cool. So they get these like 26 inch like wheels on lifted trucks and they stick out real far and it looks awful. And whenever I see it, I'm like, "You, you guys know it was a joke. And you guys took it too far. It's kind of like the the flat Earth. Like it was a bunch of people like Ken Ford fucking around telling jokes, and then a bunch of fucking honestly like knuckle dragging morons got into it. My wheels stick out too, so I'm twofer (laughs) on this. Yeah, but your wheels don't stick out for that reason. You didn't put yeah,
4: they're
1: just wide. So Bobby, we'll come back in. So before we (laughs) fucked everything up, go ahead.
4: Yeah. So. Regardless of whether the Earth was flat or round, uh, <laughs> what we what we do know for sure is that you know, like North America, there used to be 75 million bison roaming across the continent.
2: Now that was uh, what, what year was that? I mean, uh, I mean, oh. I, I know that it was like uh, you know, the U.S. Army was instituted to like take down the Red Man, you know, the American yeah. Indian. So they I would they, say they
4: put before the- colonialization. We had approximately 75 million bison roaming North America based on the estimates that people are able to say. Um, well, you've
2: seen the pictures, right, of, of the buffalo hunters like, like oh, yeah. sitting on skulls that are mm-hmm.
4: 30 feet yeah. in the air. So that 75 million eventually got dropped down to less than a thousand. And so that was due to, you know, lots of hunting of the bison, you know, intentionally by colonialists trying to, you know, suppress the livelihoods of the native populations here in North America, but also disease transmission, drought. There, it was multifactorial. It wasn't just the hunting. Um, but if you look back to when we did have those 75 million roaming across the continent, they also had predators gray wolves being the main one but there are others and essentially those predators would keep the the bison tightly bunched and herded and they would regularly move from one piece of land to the next you know so they're they're trampling the grasses down they're grazing the grass they're fertilizing the land with their urine and their dung and because they don't want to stand around in their own shit, they move along to the next piece of grass. They wait until that grass, until the urine and the dung has fully reincorporated. And then the grasses have regrown. And then the root structures down below have regrown back to health. And then eventually they make their way back to that same piece of land. So they had these ancestral migratory patterns that kept the land healthy. It kept the land thriving and cycling, you know, periodization, essentially. Um, how badass are Buffalo? Uh, they are, uh, Buffalo are my, like, if
2: I like people, somebody asked me once recently, they're like, Oh, do you have a spirit animal? I'm like, yeah, Buffalo. I fucking love Buffalo. They are like, when we got a chance to go out to Rome Ranch and see them, uh, like not only are they like the coolest, most majestic looking animals, if they sense any weakness in their herd, they just fucking kill it. Like, uh, like I remember, saw like one had like a huge gaping wound. I'm like, you gonna do anything? They're like, no, they just kind of heal. And if they don't, the other buffalo just stomp them to death because they're weak. I'm like,
4: God damn it! I love these things. Yeah, you look at a lot of farming and you get farmers and ranchers that are out there like having to, to help in the delivery of calves and, you know, all, all these other things. Bison are extremely wild still. You can't get that close to them. You're not assisting in the birthing at all. Like they're, they're going to do their thing. And in doing so, only the strong survive. And so they're going to naturally cull out those weaker genetics. And so you're just going to have, um, you know, natural strong genetics by letting nature do its thing. Um, so, but towards nature, letting, uh, letting nature do its thing, you know, the problem being is that, you know, when we had those 75 million bison and the predators that gave the proper amount of pressure so that we got the right behavior and movements out of those animals. Well, the problem is is that we've killed off most of the predators now and we've domesticated most of the grazers. And we also have put up cities and roads and all these other sort of things. So we can't just let nature do its thing. We need to have animals still grazing in tightly bunched herds and regularly moving around the landscape. But they're not going to do that on their own because the conditions in the society that we live in today doesn't allow for that. So as farmers and ranchers, the problem that we see is what most folks do is they just set their, their animals out to pasture in what's called continuous grazing or set stock grazing. So they put them out to pasture, they leave them there for you know, the entire year, whatever period of time it is, until they want to you know wrangle them up and go sell them off at auction. The problem there is they're not tightly bunched and herded and moving around. So they're going to be selective of the types of grasses that they're eating. So they're going to overgraze their favorites, and they're going to undergraze their least favorites. And ultimately what that's doing is it's killing off both of those species. So they're being selective in what they eat, And that's killing off the grasses and the land doesn't have time to rest. You know, after you, I mean, you know, it's important in looking and working out, you know, you have that hormetic stressor that comes across and then you have the recovery period afterwards and that's when you get stronger. It's the same thing with the land. You come in with an intensive grazing session and then you need to have adequate recovery afterwards before you hit it with another intensive grazing. So, What we do at the Savory Institute as a nonprofit is we train farmers and ranchers how to get that type of behavior and impact out of the animals that they have on their land. And so it's not rocket science, but really what it is, is we as humans can act as the predator, as the gray wolf that comes in and through portable electric fencing, we can contain the animals into a smaller space, get that herd effect and then plan their movements so that they don't come back to that same pasture until those grasses have fully regrown. And so really it's just, it, it takes a little bit of planning and you, you bunch them up and move them around and it's really all it takes.
2: You know, we, um, uh, you were here at the ranch at my place, uh, it was like we said over a year ago. And uh, yeah. since then, my neighbor has about 50 horses. I think they got 55 horses. And we'll let the horses come in and actually um, uh, graze in our pastures. And it takes them about two days to kill uh, the main pasture in front of our house. So they eat every blade of grass. They stomp on it. Uh, they shit their brains out. And then uh, they go back. And then I bring them in. I push them into the second pasture. And the hilarious part is the amount of birds that are going through and tearing through their through the horse shit is unreal. Like, there's hundreds of birds. like And they land. They tear it all up. Like it's pretty amazing to see the ecosystem, and then they eat every blade of grass. And then I pushed them into the far one they had every blade there, and then I put them out. And uh, it's been about a week and a half, and all of a sudden the grass exploded back.
4: And like my yeah. wife's like, we well, got to go cut it again. Birds, I'm like, or we bring them in. Yeah, the birds are an interesting piece because they're going in, and by looking, you know, they're going in trying to get bugs and whatnot. But what that does is it spreads that that dung around and it also reduces the parasitic load that you otherwise would have. And so the birds working in conjunction that symbiotic relationship with grazing animals, it helps reduce parasitic load and, you know, kind of sterilize uh, the land and makes it healthier in general. Yeah, it's
2: unreal. Like, uh, I mean, it just rained last night and I swear though, it grew like two inches overnight. And uh, mm, it, it's pretty awesome. well, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's super interesting here. And, and, you know, Texas, like I was telling these guys, Like every single day we live here in Texas, like something weird happens where I'm like, man, that's like I was telling these guys today. We have these little Phoebe birds uh, that make nests on like on like random places. And there's some vents that come out on the top, like uh, like right underneath our like overhang. And it's probably 15 feet off of the ground. There's just like these little vents for when the heater comes out. And the Phoebes have made uh, a nest on it like every year we've been here. And then every year I go kind of knock down once they leave and clean it. And then they come back Uh, today. um, My kids always go out and they like to see the birds and that we can see the baby birds. I go out and I take a look. I'm like, what is that? And I realize it's a snake. A snake it's somehow, I don't know if it climbed the wall, if it came on the roof and kind of like, I mean, it's got to be an 18, 20 inch overhang. Somehow weaseled its way and was in the nest on top, like 20 feet up. And I'm like, oh, and the kids are having a heart, like freaking out, like the snake's eating the birds. So i knocked it down. It did, it ate all the birds. But like, that's like, a like Texas is crazy. Like, like I've never seen anything like this place.
4: I mean, you'd be surprised when you start treating the land how it wants to be treated. Wildlife just comes back in all sorts of different farms. Like we've got, um, we've got a, a savory hub down in Georgia. Uh, it's this guy Will Harris at White Oak Pastures that some folks may have heard about. Uh, I know, like uh, Radio Lab did an episode about him, and he's had some videos. He's kind of a big deal, but. His whole deal was he was a traditional, you know, conventional farmer. He was feeding his animals grain, you know, doing his thing down in Georgia. He realized that it wasn't cutting it. You know, he had four employees. They were all making minimum wage. They were all barely getting by. He switched to holistic management, to planning his grazing. Now he has 10 different types of animals that he raises. Uh, he has like 160 employees who make double the county average. He's just crushing it in terms of like what his soil organic matter looks like, just like the health of his land, the microclimates, all this other stuff. But the, the piece that I find really interesting is back in the day, bald eagles, you never saw them. They, they didn't exist around there. Now he's got over 100 bald eagles that live on his property because the ecosystem he has built is just so beautiful and so conducive towards life that they've figured out like, hey, guys, this farm over here is dope. Like we should come live over here. So now he's got 100 bald eagles living on his land, and they're, they're basically feeding off of his chickens and his turkeys, like bald eagles will swoop down, grab two chickens with their claws, and fly away. And so he estimates that he's losing in you know, poultry profits probably around a quarter million dollars a year based on what the eagles are eating. Oh, Jesus,
2: uh, we, we, um, uh, we have a huge barn owl here on our property. Uh, that he shows up around dusk and he like uh, when he extends out his wings i mean they have to be six feet per wing and this huge thing it just goes down and he dive bombs and picks out little rodents out of our uh like out of the pastures and he'll just dive bomb me i see him snatch up a little rodent, and he kind of flies away and then i'll see him like 20 minutes later and he just literally kills everything it's pretty mm-hmm. amazing like when you start seeing things like that you're like what is that is that a like like, I, I I didn't even realize what it was at first until I saw it perched. And then when I saw it put out its wings, I'm like, so to see a bald eagle actually do it. I mean, there's probably some government subsidy where they're like, well, you can't hunt bald eagles. Probably just send us the bill.
4: Yeah. So yeah, the the USDA, they have a reimbursement program for any loss of wildlife, uh, any loss of your livestock to wildlife. The problem is, is the assumptions that they put into those calculations are based off of conventional farming practices. So for him with poultry, you know, he's got, I want to say like 75,000 birds that he's raising a year out on his land, all 100% out on pasture, you know, USDA expects 75,000 birds to be penned up in some big ass coop that's disgusting and you have to wear a hazmat suit to go inside of that maybe has a small little door so that you can classify it as free range but they can't really walk because they're so breast heavy that they're not going outside anyways. So your losses to natural predators are going to be minimal. So they've got a cap at, you know, like a couple thousand bucks. I want to say, you know, maybe like four thousand, seven thousand, something like that. So will, when he had his bald Eagle issue, he went to the USDA and he was like, Hey, I'm losing like a quarter million dollars a year. Uh, This four grand that you're paying me in losses ain't cutting it. they're like, sorry, that's just the way it is. So like the system is set up to favor large agribusiness. All of our farming systems that exist are in favor of large agribusiness. Why is that? I mean, is it
2: just the lobby or is it just the fact the way it was done for so long? So like that's how people were raised. So the government kind of acquiesced instead of realizing that like, hey, the conventional farming is probably destroying the land.
4: I think lobbying is a big part of it in, you know, on the behest of large agribusiness coming through and, you know, trying to push policies through like, uh, at slaughtering facilities, a slaughtering facility, you have to have a USDA inspector on site at all times. You know, if you're a small guy and you've got like a couple animals, you can't afford to pay that salary of a USDA inspector. So then you can't afford to have your own plant. So therefore you got to buy, you got to pay for a a time slot at the big guy's plant. And so they're going to jack up their prices, and they're going to make you jump through hoops. And so only if you're a big guy who has the volume to move through those large processing facilities, will it make sense for you on an economic scale. And so that's where you see some of the, um, you know, the differences, like you go to the store to buy a pound of grass fed beef, and you're like, damn, this thing's $10 a pound, I could just buy this grain fed beef that's only like, three bucks a pound. Well, it's like, yeah, the grass fed guy is paying more for his processing. He's also not fattening his animals really quickly by pumping them full of grain. And that grain, by the way, has been highly subsidized because that's what we do for commodity crops here in the US. So like the economic model is very skewed, just based on the way a lot of the laws and policies have come about in this country. If you look at places like Australia, they don't have Commodity subsidies. They don't have the corn production, the soy production like we have in the States. So, consequently, almost all of their beef. Is 100% grass-fed, grass-finished. It's just not a question. That's because, because in Australia,
2: all they the do is grain. have is uh, is land. I mean, I, I think the total population of Australia is smaller than LA County.
3: It's like 10 million people. In, I mean, traveling, yeah. traveling to Australia and Ireland, it's funny to see like on the the steakhouse menu, grain-fed, <laughs> and it's more, more expensive. expensive. It's crazy. Yeah,
2: uh, dude, yeah. We, we saw that in Australia. But yeah, I remember when I looked at the total population and I, it actually uh, I looked at the total population of Australia based upon they were talking about gun control that, you know, Australia like was able to, uh, you know, put a buyback program together and they had that mass shooting and they had a lot of weapons and it was such a seamless process. And I'm like, for ten and a half million million people in Australia, which is roughly the size of L.A. County. So, uh, like the problem is, is, uh, you know, in Australia, they have land. It was probably cheaper just to let them go out and pasture and roam and graze. Cause that's, what's available to them. So I mean, yeah. what, And well, we and what, 350 million here in the United States.
4: Yeah. So it's the only thing that makes sense. And so then when we get grass fed beef here in the States, a lot of it ends up coming from Australia, New Zealand, Uruguay. Uh, these are places where there's a ton of grass fed beef production. Um, Another interesting lobbying piece is there was uh, this thing a few years ago called Cool Country of Origin Labeling. And basically what that did is they removed the requirement on beef or or meat in general from having country of origin labeling. So a, a animal can be raised in Brazil and then shipped to the US. And then if they package it, in the US, they can then put, it doesn't have to say product of Brazil, raised in Brazil, anything like that. It will say product of the USA because they packaged it here in the US. And so basically they've gone through and altered the requirements so that the foreign producers can, with their low prices of production, you know, because they don't have all the loopholes that we have here in the States, they can come in and undercut the pricing, which makes it even harder for the guys that are trying to do 100% grass fed, regeneratively raised, et cetera, here in the States. like they, They are facing an uphill battle pretty much every step of the way.
3: Can you get into some of the farming conventional practices that kill the ecosystems? You set us up with Taylor and Rome Ranch, and he kind of broke it down and explained everything and what was going on in the land that they got in Texas. And then he took us to the rejuvenated where all the buffalo were. And it was, it was crazy. It was like not even the same land. He was like a football throw away. So what were the practices that killed the ecosystem to begin with?
4: Yeah. I mean, most things that exist in conventional agriculture, whether it be how we raise plants or animals, the way that conventional agriculture exists on the whole is destroying our ecosystem. And I'll get into some of those specifics, but like just to, uh, you know, put a nail in how, uh, how big this is. Um, the UN came out with a report like two years ago, I want to say that said at our current rate of soil loss and erosion, we have 60 harvests left. So 60 years of food production before we can't grow food anymore at all. Like, That's not just like a hypothetical A 1000 years from now things are really going to be screwed. That's something that like, if we live long enough, we're going to see the end of food production as it exists on this planet, because of how we're treating our land and how we're just like kicking the can down the road in terms of the environmental outcomes. So that's fun.
2: (laughs) Uh, You know, whenever I hear things like that, I'm like, well, I'm 40. I'm probably not going to make it to 100. Ah, God, my kids, you know, but, you know, and I think I think that's what everybody thinks. Like, oh, you know what? This is this is going to be somebody else's uh, deal to deal with. But, you know, I mean, it's like um, whenever we talk about this stuff or whenever I'm kind of put with it, all I can think of is the uh, ancient Greek proverb that, you know, uh, what is it? A civilization grows great when old men plant trees they will never sit in or sit in the shade of. So a a civilization grows great when old men plant trees in shade that they'll never sit in. And uh, that, like, I remember reading that and hearing that piece and just, like... uh, that was such an impactful statement for me. Uh, and when I hear this stuff, I think of the same thing, like, um, yeah. you know, like uh, if, if, if this is how we're gauging our society, our society is not great. So it almost is, yeah. you know, put on us to set these things in motion so that, uh, you know, these trees grow in the shade that we will never sit in is for our children. And um, it seems like it, it just makes sense. I mean, when we went out to Rome Ranch, just like understanding like the symbiotic relationship between, you know, these rudiments being able to graze and tear up the land and then the birds, the ground nesting birds that follow them and break up everything and create all these ecosystems. And then, you know, uh, the poop of the birds has nitrogen in it that goes in, mixes with the soil and it tears it all up. I mean, it just seems like as, as they explained it and from the research that we've done, it just makes sense. I just wonder if these large farms that are kind of stuck in this conventional, it's like they know that there's a better way, but they don't know how to kind of flip the switch and change it. And that's what you guys are there for. So I wonder like what it takes for a like huge ranch like a huge production huge beef cattle that's doing it conventional like what does it take to come in and then switch and how long does it take and like what is the process because to me like that's what i'm interested in and like like how do we change it and it it's almost like if you can do it on like one massive scale and there's a model then you can go out and present it to other farmers and be like hey like you know we got to plant trees and we're never going to sit in that shade but we have to do something because if we don't Um, you know, and, and I know we can control our little ecosystem, uh, but, you know, and then you kind of look at it like outside the United States. I mean, you know, I mean, we're talking about, you know, food production for 60 harvests in the United States. What about outside of that? So that's my
1: question. Yeah. And I guess on that, uh, to add on, like what are are the costs associated for them as well? Like why, why would they steer away? What are they losing? What incentives are they losing?
4: Yeah. You know, well, and I think. All, all three questions that each of you guys just asked kind of, you know, are in that same vein of, you know, like, what does it look like to do things the right way? And what are they doing currently that is problematic? And so, you know, when you look at what the properly functioning ecosystem is of this planet, it's, you know, grasslands that, you know, have lots of grazing animals moving across them. What we've done is we have plowed up a lot of those grasslands and turned those into croplands. And so that's where a lot of our food production has come from. It's former grasslands that we've transitioned into cropland. So that's not the desirable state of that land. Um, alternatively, if you look at uh, meat production or, or wool or leather or dairy, What have you, a lot of that is done in feedlots. And so it's taking these animals and putting them in an industrial setting where they're getting feed that's brought in from an outside place. They're getting pumped full of hormones. They've got these large manure pits that are coming out, and these manure pits have tremendous amounts of methane coming out of them. And that's a really bad greenhouse gas. So essentially, we've basically taken animals that used to be a tool for improving the environment and we've put them in this industrialized model. Um, And in doing so, it's wreaking havoc on the environment. And so that could be them in a feedlot. It could also be them just in a continuous grazing operation, like I was saying, where they're not moving around. And so that's still destroying the environment. So a lot of agriculture, whether it be cropland production, where you have these huge, huge landscapes of just one single species of corn, of soy, of strawberries, of almonds, whatever it is, you know, you've got just tons of a single, single species that exists. It's a monoculture. Monocultures don't exist in nature. Nature exists with polycultures, all these different symbiotic relationships of different plants and different animals working together with one another to have diversity on the landscape is what we want. So what we should be doing is having a farming food production system that respects the diversity of species that the land wants. And so we need to farm in nature's image and move away from the you know, single species model. Um, and that can look like a variety of different things. I mean, what we focus on at the Savory Institute is training farmers and ranchers how to graze but there's other models of regenerative agriculture. Like if you've got a fruit orchard, you can, you know, be planning that in a way so that you are spreading compost on your ground, or maybe you have sheep coming in grazing between the rows of your orchard so that you're getting grasses to grow. And, you know, you're creating that healthy environment down below on the, on the, uh, the canopy floor. Um, if you're doing crops, there's people that are doing that where they're integrating livestock in with crop production. And so they're starting to bring back some of these symbiotic relationships. So it's not just that single species, let's get the the most amount of production that we can on this piece of land so that we can make the most money. And who gives a damn what the environmental outcomes are from what we're doing? We're making a killing right now, and that's all that matters. That's what most of farming is at this time. And like, we're ultimately going to pay the price for it soon. So I guess. Uh, so John, how do we fix it? What like, what does that look
2: like? Yeah, like, how do we fix it? Like, um, you know, as like, I think um, at least the you know the one per or the few people on this podcast that aren't flat earthers mm-hmm. are really looking at like how do they like like what's the solution? Like, how do we fix this?
4: Yeah. So I think you know it's going to take a while to to really um, unpack or dismantle the current agricultural system that we have here in the states, you know, or abroad. Um, but there are some low-hanging fruits. So you know, a, a rancher who's got livestock and you know they're in a continuous grazing operation, just getting them the the training and the mindset of hey see your land? You see how your your profits have been going down every year? You see how your land's getting worse and worse and worse as the years go on? Here's an alternative model that exists. It doesn't take a lot of, it's not anything that's resource intensive or machinery intensive to start doing things and moving them around in a regenerative way. You know, buying some portable electric fencing, setting up some watering points, It's not that expensive in the grand scheme of things compared to what ranchers or farmers are used to spending on the infrastructure and equipment and feed and hay and all this other stuff that they have going on at their ranch. Um, And it's not, you know, manually more difficult to do. What's the most difficult part is really uh, the intellectual side of things, of sitting down and planning and making the calculations, going out and looking at the grasses on your ranch and saying like, okay, what's the what's the growth rate at this time of year? What parts of the ranch need more attention than others?" and just coming up with a smart program and plan that meets the needs of your individual property. So it's really an intellectual mindset shift that we need in the farming and ranching communities for this to happen it's not something that's you know extremely capital intensive or resource intensive to be able to do so it's just changing the mindset that folks have because you know they you come in and knock on someone's door and say hey man the way that you're grazing your animals is ruining the planet you got to change this that's basically saying that what he's been doing his entire life is wrong and what his dad did his entire life was wrong, and what his granddad did his entire life was wrong. Like, and it goes back generations and generations. So there's this tradition uh, behind all of this and ego that kind of gets in the way, preventing people from changing. It sounds like the plot from Interstellar. So I remember,
1: the movie? yeah, oh, I yeah. remember the movie.
3: Remember, they're on a farm with nothing, and they got to go search for a new planet because they ate everything. Killed the soil.
1: All I remember is McConaughey. Then my buddy bought a, a Lincoln, and now, <laughs> yeah, it's a big Lincoln commercial. You haven't seen? The- no, Wasn't there was like
4: awesome. dust falling, <laughs> and that was the patterns that he was supposed to read, or something like that?
1: Yeah, it was yeah. very. It was you know. It's really highbrow thinking, not very unconventional for the movies I like to watch. That's yeah, I one through seven,
2: eight. Yeah, it's. But yes, I'm surprised I, you've not seen it. It's I pretty good. It. It's yeah. worth seeing. Probably, I'll, I'll check it out. I don't know, man. I'm like anything that's like Matt Damon is like a Martian and all that. Like I'm just uh, uh, no, kind of over Chris, that stuff. It's Chris Nolan, so I'm a little the Batman uh, guy. Yeah, I'm good. Oh, <laughs> <man>. <laughs> it's good well seeing as that uh, the only person I know that has worse movie taste than Luke is you I'm mm, not that's me.
1: impossible I'll take that as a compliment <laughs> that is a, <laughs> <laughs> I well, mean thank you John thank yeah. you <laughs> like,
3: uh, text all right can we get back on subject? Sure. sure. I'm very upset. <laughs> so, Bob, I guess. Wait, Bob, wait, wait. wait. Why? Why are you know. upset that that you're not very good at picking movies or that you have terrible We've movie? Established tastes? in the, the history of the podcast that 1994 is the greatest movie year of all time. Two
1: thousand is runner up now. And a lot of ridiculous movies. It's pretty good. But getting back, Bobby. Getting back <sighs> to it. Okay. So, so you have this. Understandably, like there's a heritage and identity to to the practices of these guys. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. something that's like the code you got to crack, which is, yeah, seems like it's a heavy thing to do, um, on your end. But what about like, is there anything just regular dudes who don't have a farm or aren't farming? Like what do we do?
4: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I think farmers pay attention to the markets, you know, they are listening ultimately to what the dollar tells them to do and so they will follow where there is a market. And so I think if we give a shit about having a planet to live on to to have our kids inherit then we should be voting with our dollars in favor of food that has you know contributed towards a better planet. You know, we should be supporting regenerative agriculture. You know, we vote 3 times a day with our dollar. And so, you know, finding a farmer, seeing what his practices are and supporting him, I think goes a long way. Um, with the savory Institute, we've found that that's a problem for a lot of consumers is that people want to do the right thing, but they don't know how, you know, when you go to a store and you compare this steak to the other one, or this thing of yogurt to the other one, or this leather purse to that one, or this wool scarf to that one, like how do you know how those animals were raised? Because you can have, a hundred percent grass fed that is managed improperly that still is degrading the landscape because it's coming out of a continuous grazing operation or you can have that hundred percent grass fed beef that's been managed properly that's contributing towards a better environment and it's helping draw carbon out of the air and as like a climate change reversal solution and all these other things
2: anybody that are raising buffalo improperly or a buffalo kind of safeguarded against it like just within their nature it's very difficult to raise them in a conventional sense
4: uh, there are lots of bison that are, uh, fed in a feedlot. Um, that is a common thing that I think a lot of people don't realize. They just assume that because bison are very wild that, you know, they're out on pasture their entire lives. Um, and yeah, there's people that have bison out on too much land. So they're, they're out there in those continuous uh, grazing scenarios, you know, not giving the land the adequate amount of time to recover. So yeah, there's, the, there's definitely a lot of degraded bison ranches out there.
2: What's the size, like um, how much land per bison?
4: Oh, it totally depends on where you are and what your land does. I mean, you know, based on your soil type, based on the type of grasses that grow, you know, based on how much moisture you get, you know, precipitation you get throughout the year. Um, You know, so for example, we've got a bison ranch uh, here outside of Denver. We've got 7,500 acres and we raise 400 head of bison. Um, And that's about the appropriate stocking rate currently with how that land is producing grass, that's the appropriate stocking rate. We would like to influence the health of that land over time. You know, This is a, a property that was just given to our organization two years ago, so it's still new in the grand scheme of things. As our management influences the health of this land, we'd like to get more grass growing, in which case you know, we'd like to see this ranch double in stocking rate as time goes on. Because if you're growing more grass, you can carry more animals on that same piece of land. So that's kind of our goal. And, you know, same, you know, to your question of, you know, what's the stocking rate, you know, per, you know, how much acreage per head, it totally depends on where you are and you know, what's the management been like on that piece of land. So I
2: could probably get like one bison here on my land. You've been here. I probably could get maybe one, but I know how much not, land
4: do you have? We got 16 acres. 16 acres. I think I think our stocking rate is probably it's probably in that 15 to 20 rate. So, yeah, you might be able to get one.
2: So I need to get my neighbor's land. If I can get Perkins' land in the back, then I could probably uh, – he has 15 that he's trying, trying to sell me. So if I had 30, I could probably get, like, two bison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would be stoked if I got to go out and look at those bison. I thought they were so
4: neat. Like, they're just that, so – They're awesome. But they require much bigger fencing and greater infrastructure because they're so damn strong. They just, like, walk um, yeah, through stuff? Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. They'll, they'll bust through fences. No problem. Um, so, uh, you, they can also jump really high. I think they can jump six feet. They can run up to 45 miles an hour. sustain uh, that speed for quite a while. Um, so we actually have ATVs out at our ranch, um, that go faster than most other ATVs. And we chose those so that we can outrun a bison if we have to. Uh,
2: which ATVs uh, are these? Which ones do you I, remember I could not tell you we're 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 <laughs> gonna need makes and models of these fast ATVs. Are we gonna
1: need to rebrand field strong with a bison head uh no but i
2: I honestly think like um I don't know if we need to do that but dude uh I like um I was always, like, been amazed. Like, I I remember years ago, uh, I did a speaking engagement with Lauren Cordain in 2009. And he, as we were sitting there kind of going over, like, um, you know, everything, and I was talking to him about my nutrition strategy, and he, he pulled out all these pictures that he had had. Uh, of, like, the Plains Indians and, like, these early, uh, you know, buffalo hunters and settlers. And I just remember the one picture was uh, taken by, obviously, some buffalo hunters, but it would show two Plains Indians standing in front of this massive um, buffalo. And, like, I just remember their whole faces and their stomachs were all covered in blood, and their guts were super distended. And there was a notation on the back that said, um, after the buffalo was shot, I guess they cut out the liver and, like, uh, the organ meats. And they proceeded to eat, like, six to ten pounds of organ meats fresh out of the animal. And you could see their guts were super distended and, like, the blood on their faces. And I just, like, seeing the sheer size, and then there was all the pictures of, like, the skulls and, like, all the carcasses for Miles to see. But just seeing, like, the pictures of the herds, because I remember one of them had, uh, like, it was obviously, like, a top vantage point, but the herd, like there was hundreds, like thousands uh, like as far as the, i could see and i was you know you go back to where the buffalo roam like mm-hmm. i don't think that we had any any idea of how many buffalo and just the sheer size and then uh obviously seeing pictures and i've, I've seen them before but like when we were at rome ranch be like being that up close to them i'm like these are the coolest animals i've ever seen they look like yeah. like hairy tanks on wheels and they're just super robust and just like hooves on hooves Yeah, I mean, they're they're badasses. And, um, no, I I dig them. I I think, um, and then as I read up, like you said, man, they're fast. They can jump. Like, they have a really insane sustained speed, like top speed. Like, they can run for long
4: periods of time. And these are just the species of bison that exist right now. There used to be other species that have gone extinct. So there used to be even bigger bison that roamed the Great Plains that are long gone, but they've found the skeletal remains of that. And so they know that there used to be a lot more and a lot more different types than what we have right now. This is just the best we've got because it's all that's left. I'm and sure like we you, can do some uh,
2: genetic stuff and get it out.
1: Like we saw Jurassic Park. That was yeah, real, right? The bison version of Jurassic Park. That I'd be up
4: for. You. On it? You want to know something gnarly? So at our bison ranch out here outside of Denver, we've got evidence of the KT boundary. That's the geologic point that shows where the dinosaurs went extinct. So it's all that you know when the the giant meteor hit in the Yucatan Peninsula, mm-hmm. sixty six million years ago, and you know it was raining lava from the sky and it killed off eighty percent of life on the planet, including all the dinosaurs. Some of that ash and lava was um, was fossilized. Through places like swamps. And so they hypothesized that there was a swamp that existed on our ranch 66 million years ago. And so we've got this little one inch layer on the hillside that if you cut away the hillside, we've got this layer of ash. And that's the point that the dinosaurs is wet extinct. And so there's iridium in the layer. Iridium is the extraterrestrial metal that comes from outer space. So that's how they know that it was a meteor that crashed into the Yucatan that killed off the, the, uh, all the dinosaurs and everything. So we've got dinosaur bones, we've got KT boundary, we've got all this evidence of the fifth, it was the fifth great extinction on the history of planet Earth. Um, and right now, climate change is poised to be the sixth great extinction if we don't do anything about it. So on our one ranch, we've got evidence of the fifth grade extinction and then through the grassland regeneration that we're doing we're actively trying to prevent the sixth grade extinction that's so cool fucking boom no the what are you
2: doing uh, with am, your land uh, Wellmore? well i got horses watching horses.
4: horses shoot shit everywhere
1: canter is it uh, canter? Gallop? Uh, I Gallop Dude, I'm, canter?
2: I'm not kidding you, man. Like, I want to try to first. get more land so we can get a bison. Like, I, I, I know we don't have enough for him yet, but, like, that's my goal is to try to get enough land to where we could actually have a bison. How cool would it be to look out there and be like, holy shit, it's watching me. What if it runs through the wall? And then we could make texts like, to go out there and change direction. Yeah, see you if know,
1: can, I like that type
4: of danger. Like... I think they're walking cool to
1: the office. Am I going to get hit by the bison today? <laughs>
4: <laughs> Are you to sprint I'm, in? I'll be fine. Uh, I do. I did. I mean, dare. I'll just say it might be easier to raise cows or sheep or goats or something uh, like that. No. All these different grazing animals all do the same thing to the land in the grand yeah, scheme.
2: Of it. But that's not really the power athlete way. We're going to look for like the most extreme version and being like, uh, can we get horns on that thing? Maybe like a, yeah, a capacity, machine gun. Let's
4: go for this. Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, my I mean, my neighbor. Why, why don't you get a longhorn? Uh, they're totally useless. Yeah. They just stand around all day. They they call them yard art. Uh, my neighbor has a yeah. gang of goats, and it's pretty funny because uh, there's a couple new babies. Though. Yeah, he's he's got a bunch of new babies. Uh, the sad part is, is like I kind of like you know been driving by, so I I do like a kind of a mental count of how many goats. He loses probably two to three goats a month to predators and different stuff. So I'll be like, oh, what happened to that guy? The goat's dead, and uh, predators get it, and like. It's just part of part of the natural process, and like he has, uh, he used to have like five dogs, and now he's down to one dog because the dogs, uh, the goats will get out on the road, and the dogs will try to go get the goat back, and they get hit by cars because people drive too fast.
4: So, is the coyotes getting them?
2: Yeah, it's the coyotes. Uh, the babies uh, either get picked up by the coyotes or the foxes, or like the babies get taken down by a bunch of stuff. But yeah, it's the coyotes. And um, Did you
4: read, have you read that book, Coyote America? Mm-mm. Oh, man, that is a fascinating book. They talk about coyotes and how adaptable they are as a species um, and just how fucking smart they are in the grand scheme of things. But you know how you hear the coyote calls at the end of the night. What they're doing is they're doing a roll call of everyone that exists. And the alpha female is paying attention to the saturation point that exists in, in the area that they're in. And so she gets a sense that they don't have enough that they can stand to have more coyotes. Like maybe some folks are missing. She'll throw off a larger litter. So if she was going to have a litter of two, she could throw off a litter as high as, I think he said 19 in the book. Like, It's insane. So when people go, you know, a lot of folks, you know, throughout history, they've tried to kill off the coyote populations through like strychnine poisoning or just going out and shooting them or whatever it may be. What they're doing is just increasing the population with every coyote you kill because you kill one coyote and then that alpha female is going to throw off like a dozen more. So So you got to get to find the alpha female. Like, well, yeah, there's just going to be another alpha female that, that yeah. comes and
1: takes place. Uh, we've, well, then we get hurt.
2: We've we've had a decent amount of coyotes. I mean, I usually shoot them on sight. Uh, the uh, the old guy I, I remember I talked to told me you got to stake them up. So if you you know like because I guess when they do roll call, if one doesn't answer, they come looking. And so if you can stake them up, they'll come and they'll find them, and then uh, allegedly they they go away. But
3: it hasn't worked. It it was I heard the calls because I was here the other night. And, man, it was some of the coolest things. I just sat outside and listened. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah, no, uh, like, uh, if
2: I catch them on the cams, I'll go out there and, you know, I mean, I'd, yeah.
1: I was on the hike with old Harry Shaw at oh, Mount Austin uh, with the dogs off the leash and shit. It was six six 645 last Wednesday, I think. And uh, it's, like, a pretty decent hill, good amount of switchbacks, and we're going in. A.M. Yeah, A.M. And... One of my dogs is just a moron and just a fucking ball of energy, so I just let her go. Just let her go. And uh, she's ahead probably 25 yards. And I kind of see a deer up in, uh, you know, maybe 40 yards out, and I'm like, oh, she'll probably chase him, right? So she goes out, bolts at that fucking deer. Deer kind of kicks back behind us, going the other way down, like, a, a service road. And I see her whiz by, and then right on her fucking tail is coyote. And I'm like... They, uh, fuck Well that, that dog right Yeah no they eat dogs so my, my ins- And I have like my another little dog who's blind And equally as useless And uh, so he's kind of close Has no fucking clue what's going on But my instinct is I just started running after the dogs And I just barked at him Hey as loud as I fucking could And that fucking coyote stopped and looked at me And I just fucking like postured up And sprinted off the trail Right at that fucking coyote And then he kind of looped around off the trail And I just kind of tried to like, take a pursuit angle on him, and he fucking kept going. And my buddy Harry has, he's like, oh, did you see that deer? I'm like, bro, you didn't see that fucking coyote? He's like, no. <laughs> he's like, no! Sabe? Que <laughs> And, um, so Harry's a Mexican friend of mine. Uh, <laughs> so then I'm like, dude, there's a fucking coyote, and I'm wearing my heart rate monitor, and my fucking, like, 189 beats per minute. And I'm like, fuck, man, like, pretty hyped up. And, yeah. like, dogs have no fucking clues, so we keep going up, and he's like, there's no fucking coyote. What are you talking about? And as we get up to like this next service road, kind of step off, there's the coyotes are down the fucking road, just on the road watching us. Yeah. And I'm dude. like, man, we're fucking coyote bait right now. Like, <laughs> the, if I let these dogs go, they're probably going to get picked up.
2: Yeah, they are. Uh, raptors, dude. I know yeah. that. I, I know they kill uh, domestic dogs and they they, sure. uh, they obviously. Uh, oh, my they, dogs would be fucked. Well, like, they, all, and they and they breed with uh, domestic females a bunch. Oh, no shit. Yeah, and I know the wolves do that. But.
1: Like, I could picture fucking Louis and Vinny, like, hey, oh. sweet friends. Maybe get shredded Maybe shred that uh,
2: uh, Lou my one dog uh, is, is not that dumb To get That's far me. enough via yeah, my, my other dog Vinny is an idiot He, uh, he would get eaten in, in like seconds I don't know I think he'd fight his way out I think he'd think They're playing No, It was yeah, a great time uh, Well I, the funny thing About pit bulls Is they're pretty sweet And they're And then all Like I, I think I told you this Like years ago Bottle down
1: it's a bottle Year, of uh, uh, v-
2: vodka. Sorry. Years <laughs> ago, uh, I remember I had my pit bull bear, and we went to a uh, dog park. And uh, he was, like, super nice dog, like the sweetest dog you'd ever been around. And uh, this other dog kind of bowed up on him, and he was kind of a little nervous. And I saw him get, like, a little submissive, and the dog fucking went at him. And uh, 10,000 years of evolution and also the pit bull fucking thing, he snapped. And, like, turned into a fucking pit fighter. He got down. He snatched a dog by its neck, fucking ripped it up. Like, literally, I was like, oh, my God. And the woman's screaming. And I was like, ah, uh, your fucking dog bit my dog. And the dog fucking, I mean, that's like a evolution comes out. And he fucking tore this thing up. And I'd never seen it again. But he'd never been in that position again. So I always think with, like, dogs, like, you know, oh, they never do anything. And then all of a sudden, they're in that position. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, like, evolution takes over, I hope.
4: And, uh, you know, I wish we could say the same thing for humans. Here's where that, like, the whole vegan narrative of, like, we just need to treat all the animals with respect and everything's going to be kumbaya. Herb
2: stomp the vegans for a little bit. I feel like kicking them in the balls repeatedly. So anything good you want to say? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, oh, Major. you know, uh, I'll be like, the reason that they're eating meat is because we're forcing them to eat meat. I heard that one the other day, and I'm like, so the lion is bawling, is being forced to eat? Get the fuck out of here.
4: Uh, I find that vegans... I. I can have a good conversation with a vegan on the environmental side of things. And I've brought many a vegan back to our side through the environmental discussions of, hey, not all meat is raised the same way. You know, there are those that are destroying the planet, but like, don't, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater and ruin it for those of us that are trying to regenerate this land. So like, let's find a commonality. And that works in, in some areas, but then you do have those that are just, you know, Far off the deep end, that are like you can never touch an animal. You, you have to let them do everything. It's the the, the arguments that they put forward just well, don't. It, it kind of
2: reminds just, me of like the uh, the pro life people killing the doctors. Like that one, like I uh, don't you remember there was like pro life person and they ended up like killing like the like the doctor at the abortion clinic. And I remember I'm like, so you're protecting life by killing life. Like, that one just didn't make sense to me. I don't know, dude, the vegan stuff, um, it just does, like, like the narrative has never made sense to me. And we know, like, I mean, and I, I got into a big battle with some people recently where I was like, you know, probably the least blood-soaked diet is one of pasture-raised meat, you know, chickens and mm-hmm. eggs, and went through like the one that we eat. Um, the amount of death and mayhem that comes from like the production and the of uh, traditional farming for your vegan diet—it's a—it's a much more blood-soaked diet. I mean, like yeah. you know, everything from from squirrels to deer to ground-nesting birds. I mean, all of those things are actually killed within the production of that. And, yeah. Uh, uh, there was a gal who was on there who was like, yeah, I, I grew up working on a bee. Farm and she's like, my job was to pick the dead animal carcasses out as the, when they dumped all the uh, all the beans. We were like there were like dozens of people and our job was to pick out the dead carcasses so they could process everything. She's like, uh, each harvest killed like thousands of animals because that's mm-hmm. their food source. So it's like, yeah. Uh, and I, I got into it with these people about it, and the eventual argument that came out was that um, uh, cows and large rudiments are is it what's it centiel.
1: Oh, sentient. Yes, yeah,
2: sentients. Yes, yeah, sentient yeah. beings and deserve uh, a higher level of respect than these smaller mammals like uh, deer and, like, and rodents and all these and others. Like even insects, if you want to... Yeah, wanna... yeah and, and insects. Like those don't have as much uh, value in life, so those are acceptable casualties in, this, in the war against. And like yeah. when they said that, I'm like, you guys are fucking insane. Like there's Basically, no
4: what they're saying is because these species are larger and cuter and I can relate to them more because I can see more of myself in them. I value their life more than something that is different from me. And I mean, that I think sounds familiar in terms of like racism and sexism and everything else. So I I think this should be speciesism in some way. (laughs) They're saying that this life is less important because it doesn't look like me. And I think that's bullshit. I got
2: into it with somebody recently, too, about uh, about hunting. And I, they asked me, like, in Texas, do we hunt? I'm like, you have to hunt. The the deer populates so fast that if you don't take a certain amount of deer uh, and, like, keep the population down, uh, they sprint into traffic and they hit cars and people die. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, that's acceptable. We're using in their habitat, shouldn't, you know? And I'm like, okay, so you're in California. You've never hunted. You have no concept. You've never been to Texas. I'm like, do you have any idea? Not only the, the life of the deer hitting the car, what happens to them and the person they, they hit. So they're going to die anyway. And the person, in the car is going to die, or we can go out and reduce the population and take our fair share of deer, which prevents this. And so you're okay with those deer dying in the most violent fucking manner ever. And the person in the car dying too. Yes. And I was like, this is fucking crazy. Like I, I like, I don't even understand the reasoning. Like I always think, you know, like when you sit down to have a discussion or an argument or you're on two opposing sides, I believe that there has to be like a, a concession of rationality and what we found here. And like, especially with a lot of people in the vegan deal, I mean, we run into it in fitness all the time is where people have completely, um, I guess, abandoned any rational thought because the rational thought doesn't confirm their bias.
4: Mm. Yeah. It's It's a fucked up world that we live in (laughs) and I feel like whether we're coming from the fitness side of things, the nutrition side of things, the agricultural side of things, there are these different camps that exist and people have their viewpoints that they're going to defend till the death and they aren't open to new ideas or reconsidering their preconceived notions and what brought them there and they just want to have a belief and you know we are very tribal as a species and so they want to exist in their tribe and they will defend it till the death which is really unfortunate, Um, you know, because there's a lot of people that I think, you know, you want to give people the the best opportunity. You know, you want to give a farmer the opportunity to realize that, hey, there's a different way of doing things. You want to give a vegan an opportunity to realize like, oh man, maybe I am experiencing some massive nutrient deficiencies and I should probably reincorporate some animal products into my diet. Or hey, maybe running all these ultra marathons is not the best of ideas. That's my personal story. I used to be a big Tex. I remember back at CrossFit DuPont back in like, oh you, uh, nine, you had us write down our, our goals like that we wanted, like our fitness goals and like what we wanted to work on. And mine was like, I just want to be the best ultra marathon runner I can be. And I just remember you just had this really disappointed look on your face. Yeah, I kicked you out of like, the gym. I fired you.
3: <laughs> no, no not really. But uh, eventually got you on field strong, right? And yeah, uh, yeah.
4: you stopped running and started eating meat. Oh, so you were oh, a vegan. No, 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 no. No, God, no. I was eating meat. <laughs> so you were a vegan marathon, r- ultra Go marathon
2: said <laughs> uh, I survived on soy protein shakes. I can And my nipples that.
3: hurt. I, I believe you were start, somebody started this thing called a meat up, M-E-A-T, within that uh, DuPont community, the balance community. Yeah, it was
4: the, the D.C. paleo community back in okay. like eight oh nine early, you know, yeah. like when Rob Wolf's book had like just come out and yeah. paleo was still this like lunatic fringe thing. Uh, oh yeah. I was, you I was, you I was know, the guy those,
3: bringing a, a sixer to this and like yeah. nobody else was drinking beers. And I'm like, man, I'm <laughs> I... you know what, uh,
2: Rob's original or Rob's book and the original kind of, uh, information for the paleo diet always makes a ton of sense to me. And mm-hmm. even, even to this day, we probably eat within 90% of that deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than like, you know, I'd say some rice cakes as a snack, but like, what? what? No, I That's some right.
1: delicious Trisket crackers in the car.
2: <laughs> right? Uh, I would have had more rice cakes, or uh, somebody oh, <laughs> killed oh. all my rice cakes. I was like,
1: who ate all these fucking rice
2: cakes? Wait, you coy- had rice
1: cakes? Te- a, te- it was te- the coyotes. So you had rice Tex- cakes? You had rice right- cakes?
2: stayed at my house this week uh, while we were out in California visiting my mom, and I came back, and I was like, the girls are like, who ate all of our snack food? Cause it's all these like little kid snacks. I'm like, yeah, who ate all the rice cakes? I'm like, it's probably that bear uh, that was in there. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, uh, like... To go back, like I remember like um talking to Rob, and this is in 2009 when I first met him about the paleo diet and being like, yeah, you know, eat some meat, you know, eat some carbs. Like it, it became like it was very simple. And then over the course of like the next like four, five, six, seven years, like I don't know where people fucking lost their minds. Well,
1: The paleo rule book, right? Well,
2: no, but, no, dude, it just
4: like... Uh, They found out they could make money by uh, making products and slapping the paleo logo on it. uh,
2: But people like I'm believe me, I'm totally fine with like uh, paleo treats. And if people like uh, like uh, whatever, like go for it. But like the like where people got like so militant in like this is like this is paleo. This isn't. And it became this almost like weird cultish religion.
1: Well, caveman can't boil potatoes. So it's not technically paleo.
2: Well, I I remember us being like, "Well, can you know? uh, Did uh, did the potato not exist?" I'm like, "Jesus Christ! Like this is crazy!" And and I and I I remember trying to like answer these origin
3: of don't be weird.
2: This is this is where the exact origin of don't be weird. So I have a uh, whenever I give a nutrition talk, there's always the final piece is the number one rule, which I kind of work backwards. I'm like the final level and the number one rule with nutrition is don't be weird if you find yourself like doing uh a you know buffalo loin cloth and going out there and doing this whole thing because you think caveman did it and like they, uh, just like take a step back come back to reality and don't be weird and like i felt like the whole paleo thing jumped the shark when like everybody was just so fucking far out there to the point where i always loved rob's original work and we always kind of ate that way and to the point where like I was like, man, we, we're not going to talk about this in terms of this. And I would use like, I don't know, I eat like a meat diet. We eat some primal stuff. Like I tried to avoid the word paleo just cause the weirdo stigmatism of it. Like mm-hmm. it just it, like, and then even Rob's confused. Rob's like, yeah, it was a great idea. And then people just fucking took it to like the nth degree and kind of fucked it all up, which is what they're kind yeah. of doing with the keto diet right now too.
1: Oh yeah, Yeah.
4: It's happening everywhere. I mean, shit, it's happening, you know, in our space, in regenerative agriculture, everyone's, you know, dying to put a label on regenerative and say, no, no, no. What, what I do and the way I say you should be doing things is regenerative. Like everyone just wants their piece of the pie. Um, and so what we're doing actually in the ag space is, you know, you look at the word regenerative and what does that mean? Like it means that the land is getting better over time. So rather than trying to list out a set of practices of what you can and can't do and having a checklist, we're just going out and measuring the health of the land and if it gets better over time, then you can carry a seal on your product that says ecological outcomes have been verified. Um so that's how we're trying to like break through the noise in the ag space because we see this tribalism, this this desire to to slap a label on something And, you know, when you do that and you create these specific boundaries, people bastardize it and turn it into something that totally flies in the face of what it originally was intended to do. You know, paleo was originally intended to just get people to stop eating crap and eat real food that's appropriate for your diet and your activity level. Like, great, not that difficult. And then it becomes all these uber processed, bulletproof, upgraded everything shit that exists and is probably worse for people than what they were eating beforehand um well
2: isn't everybody like uh looking for this the other problem is uh if good if if one's good 100's better so everybody gets into this hack thing and then it becomes like a paleo with the i just remember being like dude like uh you should and uh, i think uh we probably lost steam on this by trying not to be in crazy because I've realized uh, true success happens when you're extremely polarizing. So the problem is is that the majority of people uh, for them to...
1: I'd call that the easy success. Well, it's easy to be polarizing. It it is. but uh, Above spit and shine and and sell the fucking...
2: But like, Voodoo. if you look at social media and the majority of stuff, like it comes through. And actually, like the middle of the road, non crazy person approach is by far the least polarizing and sexiest one. Like, if you can be like, if you only don't eat for twenty three hours, you can eat ten thousand calories in an hour. You'll be sure. Oh yeah, that totally works. And people get stuck into this thing. And like, is that a real thing? <laughs> yeah, I want to start. <laughs> but like, That's then, a lot of chips <laughs> and salsa. But, but then we get into this and I like, dude, uh, when, when I got up and gave like nutrition talks and Texas, that one of the first ones, it was pretty basic. Like, uh, you know. The, the, of cheese. I don't remember that. I got to find that spreadsheet. Uh, please do. Uh, the, it, every meal should be based around some form of animal-based protein. I mean, the only ones that are valuable are the ones with, you know, faces and souls and a mother and then outside, regeneratively raised, regeneratively raised. Yeah. You know, I mean? I uh, yes, will have to qualify. Yeah, we'll have to qualify. And then you should add in fat and carbohydrate based off of, uh, training energy expenditure palette. And more importantly, like what your physiological or what you're trying to do in terms of lean bulk and all those other things just come out without with, with playing with macros and doing that. And it's just like. I don't know, uh, where everything, oh, I do know where it is. They brought in a bunch of marketers that realized the sexier and the more difficult we can make this and the more magic we can give it the appearance, the easier it is to sell. Because if it was so easy or if it was so simple, then nobody would need this stuff and everybody would already be in good shape and healthy. And it's just become this like, man, when people ask me about the nutrition space, I'm like, I, I really like the, the, you know, this, um, what did you say? Ethically raised? Not not ethically regenerative regeneratively raised. Is there a, is there a list uh, like a layman like us? I mean, I I, I know we work with uh, Stay Classy and some mm-hmm. uh, and, and try to yeah. you know specifically work with farms that are in this space. But I wonder, yeah. like on the Saber Institute, do you guys have a list of people you work with or recommended people.
4: So, so that's really what we're getting at. When I mentioned that ecological outcome verification seal (EOV), that's a program that we've been building for the last few years with re- researchers from Michigan State University and Texas A&M and others, basically to make sure that it's scientifically robust and it's valid, and you know you can't poke holes, poke holes in it. So now what we're doing is we're going out and we're setting up that data collection at farms and ranches all around the world. Cause we don't work just here in the US. I mean, we work with, you know, cowboys in the West and the Maasai in Kenya and gauchos in Patagonia and sheep herders in Norway. Like there's people managing livestock all across the globe. So we're helping them be better stewards of the land. And now with the ecological outcome verification, we're measuring the health of their land so that their products, when they come to market, can carry that seal so that you know. So like you've been talking about Rome Ranch a lot, you know, if for those listening that don't know, Rome Ranch is owned by Katie and Taylor, who are the founders of Epic Bar. So Epic Bar is a big supporter of regenerative agriculture. They've been working with the Savory Institute for years to improve their supply chains and where they source from, which we commend them from. And they're awesome. But they realized that it's difficult to do this. And not everyone has that direct line to the Savory Institute to find the best sourcing. So they really pushed us to develop a program that would help improve supply chains so that we can get more of these farmers and ranchers that we've trained all around the world. I mean, we've trained you know, probably like 8,000 farmers and ranchers, we've regenerated 25 million plus acres, you know, in like the past decade or so. And so we're trying to get that product differentiated so that when you go to the store, you can see that EOV logo and know that that came from regenerating land and then there's data to back it up. And it's not just soil carbon, it's looking at water holding capacity, the amount of bare ground, the different species of plants, making sure there's a diversity, like looking at a whole composite score of land health and see that that trends in the positive direction. So to your question of is there a list, Not yet, but there are a few products that are out that have the EOV seal. So Epic has uh, their beef sriracha bites have the EOV seal on it. Whenever you see that, they've also got two new products that are coming out. Um, I actually don't think they have been announced yet, but I asked them and they said I could mention it here on the podcast. So
2: I love dropping new information.
4: Bring it. Yeah. So the world premiere of the new EOV products from Epic. Um no, their beef liver bites um, are a new product that are coming out. So you can get that liver, get the organ meat, all yeah. the nutrition. Yeah, burger. we're in it. Yep. That's part of oh, the Power yeah. Athlete staple, Oregon meats. Hell yeah. Yep. So the beef liver bites are gonna be carrying the EOV seal on it. And then also their pastured pork lard. So, you know, mm-hmm. like the lard that you cook with.
2: Oh, and the stuff that so, Tex showers in. Is that the stuff he wipes all over his body? I think so. Yeah, it's called no. That's just my belly. It's called hard lard. (laughs) Ah, I thought that's what the the, you know you guys grease yourself up on the weekends and go out and wrestle.
1: I thought hard lard was when you mixed vodka and uh, like beef fat.
3: No, it's mayonnaise and vodka. We call it hard lard. That's the hard lard. (laughs) Yeah, hard lard. Yeah, Jesus. it's a delicious cocktail.
1: <laughs>
3: oh, you guys are going to a bar and be
2: like, "What do you have? Uh, do you have any mayonnaise back there? I need some um, Take mayonnaise." A Budweiser
1: and two hard lards. Oh, What's you that? better
2: believe I'm going to try to order this mayonnaise oh, and Cooper's Ball hard lard. I fucking hate mayonnaise. Okay, how about like? I'm not a mayonnaise. Not enough vodka. <laughs>
1: well, what about like? Uh,
2: Did you guys ever see the one with um, um, undercover brother? When uh, they were trying to, like, turn him to be a white dude. Um, who was the guy with... Uh, oh,
1: what's his fucking uh, name? Tommy...
2: Eric Griffin? Griffin? Yeah, uh, Tommy Griffin? No, It's something Griffin. Yeah, Eddie Griffin. Uh, Ed, yeah, Eddie, yeah, Eddie Griffin yeah, yeah, Eddie Griffin. When they were trying yeah, to yeah. Uh, teach him to be a white dude, and they were like, "You're gonna be presented with mayonnaise, and we got like a little ring to shoot some hot sauce to make it palatable." I really can't handle mayonnaise. <laughs> I fucking died. Like that was the funniest shit because uh, I don't like mayonnaise. I'm like, but I'll, I'll take hot sauce. So I don't know if that's uh, uh, a black person, white person thing. No, only, I don't like mayonnaise. I don't like, like mayo.
1: I'll eat it. I'm fine with it now. But I'll. I'm out. I, I can't remember. Tell you the last time I had mayonnaise. Let's get back to hard lard. What about tequila and bacon grease? Like, that's legitimately hard no, lard. Th-
3: well, this is my whole brand of cocktails. Oh, so it's a... You're, yeah, it's just taking some form of fat and then adding some alcohol and then boom.
1: But it has to be animal fat.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we, it's got to be EOV, pasture-raised, approved
1: animal fat lard.
2: So did Tech totally come up that. with all this stuff at, uh, at Balance at the you know, the
4: CrossFit in D.C.? I, I never drank a hard lard, so no, this is all new information to me. Although there is a brewery here in Denver. It's a heavy metal brewery, which I think is awesome because you go and you can just listen to some great metal and drink some great beer. Oh. Um, and they've got a shot uh, that they call a hot beef injection, which is a, a shot of Jameson followed by a beef aljou chaser. And it is fucking delicious.
1: Uh, I'll, do I'll do that. Probably
2: the worst drink I've ever had was shot was uh, something called Dracula's Blood, which was 151 in Tabasco.
1: Yeah, like a prairie fire, right? Pra- uh, it similar,
2: but 151? Uh, yeah, it was, yeah. what, what was a prairie fire? Tequila in Tabasco. Yeah, I think yeah. so. But uh, yeah, the Dracula's Blood was 151 in Tabasco. Mm-hmm.
4: Um, oh,
1: God. Have you ever had Malort's? Uh,
2: <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you my story about Malort's. Uh, Malort's oh, is, is wormwood. Yeah. Right. So Wormwood is what they make absinthe from, oh, which, yeah. uh, you know, the green fairy mm-hmm. the whole deal and Van Gogh cutting his ear off. And when we were in Amsterdam, we went to this bar that actually had like the original, uh, uh absinthe. And there's like a whole deal where you like, uh, you, you, take it and then you put like, uh, there's like a the sugar, sugar on a spoon melt, and, yeah, yeah, and you, you light it on fire and you go in and you drink this stuff. Um, Gasoline, And I've, dude, I've, uh, I've had to huff gasoline. I you've mean, dude, actually I drank gasoline. Well, this tasted worse. I'll tell you this. Uh, if you've, have you ever siphoned gasoline? Like, uh, like we ran out of gas, we had to siphon gas. And as you're sucking on the two on the, on the pipe or on, on the hose, on, on the hose to get the deal, uh, all of a sudden, once the suction starts, the way that you know is cause you get a mouthful of fucking gasoline <laughs> and then you put it in the thing and that's how you siphon gas. Uh, I did that. We siphoned gas and I had a mouthful of fucking gasoline. The absinthe tasted worse than the fucking gasoline. Mm. And then well, we, we did try hard lard. And then we proceeded to drink more of it and it was fucking awful. Yeah, sure that? No, the absinthe. <laughs> I didn't cut my ear off, thank God, but I didn't know why Van Gogh cut his ear off.
1: I, I mean, I, I tried it once and nothing happened. <laughs> I forget where a buddy had it, but it could have been some knockoff bullshit or fucking like vodka with Green Jolly Rancher in it. Who the fuck knows? No,
2: it was. Yeah, uh, yeah, you got to drink that stuff in some Mm. weird bar in Amsterdam that smells like cheese and
1: other weird stuff.
4: How do we get to this topic? So you guys were asking about how you can find regenerative (laughs) products. Next thing you know, we're talking about absinthe in Amsterdam. That's, that's we what we like to do. about Hard lard. Uh, no, so I mentioned just to like finish off the list of, you know, like places that you can find. So Epic has one product and a couple more coming out that are going to have EOV on it. Um, there's some of our uh, folks in the Savory Network. They've come out with a new brand actually that just launched at Paleo FX. It's, a, it's like beef sticks and a nut butter that goes on top of it, which sounds like a really weird combination. But when you try it, Trust me, that shit is crack. It is so good. It is delicious. People are going nuts over it, but that's all EOV verified. So it's, you know, coming from farms and ranches that they manage themselves as savory hubs. Um, and that's called rep provisions, eatrep.com. Um, That's coming out soon. It's, Oh, it's delicious. It's so good. Um, we are working with brands like Applegate. You know, you see them, you know, at, Lots of different stores. They're working on coming out with some EOV products. So, you know, probably look towards 2020 with that. They're a much bigger company, so their supply chains are really complicated. So it takes time to work with them on this sort of stuff to improve that. But, you know, I I give it to them that they're, they're making the commitment to put their money where their mouth is. There's like Zook's natural pet foods. That's like a pet food company. That's, you know, committed to better sourcing. We're working with uh, caring group. They're the holding company for like Gucci and Stella McCartney and Puma and Volcom and all these other lifestyle and luxury brands. So they're trying to get better wool and leather in their uh, supply chain. So it's, this isn't just a food thing. This is also fiber. Um, and then there's like smaller regional brands that you can find that are our, our different uh, savory hubs are working with. So, you know, could be like a local beef brand that you see at the farmer's market or, or in your little co-op store and whatnot. So we're working with the big multinational brands, but then we're also working with the small guys because, you know, regenerative takes uh, a lot of different forms. It could be, you know, a small little five acre farm with a few animals, or it could be a big 20,000 acre ranch with like huge herds of grazing animals. Um, it comes in in all different contexts so um, you know look for the eov seal to know that it is definitely from a regenerative land base that has metrics to to justify it um, or if you want to just find your local savory hub these are basically the the learning centers that farmers and ranchers go to to learn these methods and these practices we've got 43 of them around the world and so they're they're all over the place if you go to our website savory.global we've got a map that you can search and see you know find your local savory hub and just get in touch with them and i'm sure they'll be able to plug you in with with a local farmer who's uh who's got some supply for you
3: yeah man here we are 10 years later what's your training goal what are you training for man
4: that is a good question well i am no longer running so i have quit that thank god you saw the Uh, light i did i did oh i mean i I enjoyed it. It was, it was fun to, to put myself through that challenge. And like, I got second place at a hundred mile race once. Um, the only race I ever won was a, uh, was a beer mile. So
1: <laughs> that counts in my book. Those are the real races.
2: Uh, you know, uh, I, I used to train with these dudes, uh, across at CrossFit Newport, Brian McKenzie and those dudes used to run those ultras and all those far races. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, I just remember them being like, Oh, I'm doing a little 50 miler this weekend. And I just remember thinking yeah. like, if you told me and like I, this was my perception like uh hey we got to like jump in the car we got to go somewhere and it's like 50 miles I'd be like do we got like water do you have snacks like where are we going do we have directions <laughs> like like 50 a 100 miles is like that's a couple hour drive it, like uh it will
4: fuck you up uh, that's that was basically what clued me in that I needed to stop running uh so after the old Dominion 100 Miler I got second place 19 hours and 11 minutes I had some IT band syndrome issues that took about six months to get better. And then when I finally got better, I was like, cool, I can start running again. And I signed up and I did the Hellgate 100K, um, which is this, it's 66.6 miles. It starts at midnight, you know, in December, you got to cross a stream within the first two miles. So it's just designed to be brutal um and actually uh david goggins actually was racing uh i know a lot of people are, are big goggins fans these days um i'm proud to say i beat david goggins in that race well he's not real um, fast <laughs> he just no suffers. he is he's he's a, he's I, a great yeah, runner he, i know i'm just he kidding. just had a bad he just had a bad day he was he was suffering that's the only reason i beat him did you talk shit um, to him as you went by <laughs> no oh. no i, I may not, have smacked you i am not yeah. quite sure um, but after that race, I had some pretty bad knee pain and I went and got an MRI and it turns out that I had a stress fracture on my femur. And so I was like, all right, I've been out for six months with it band. Now I got a stress fracture on my femur. Like this shit just is not working. Like I'm a too big- much
2: soy, too much soy. That soy based vegan diet you're eating obviously <laughs> didn't pay dividends.
4: Yeah. The, the bitch tits should have clipped <laughs> me in. That things a lot working. of
1: anterior weight. When you have those man boobs, you know?
2: Uh, you know, yeah. you, you got to talk to Tex about this. Every day, Starbucks, soy latte. Four plums, what?
1: vanilla. Yeah. Uh, hold the decaf. Yeah, yeah decaf, get soy latte. Oat Every day. Milk.
4: Yeah. Oat milk, actually. Why do you drink soy why why is it? It makes his nipples hurt any uh any <laughs> any
2: uh actually, I do that. He, he he lactates every day when we get upset at him.
1: He's gotta save the cows for the hard lard, you know? The evening mama's medicine. <laughs> 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 and there goes our last out. listener. Okay. Better cancel future episodes.
4: No? <laughs> no.
1: Okay, so you got all fucked up. And then how long did it take for you to get out of this?
4: this uh, I don't know. It was like another four months before that uh, stress fracture on the femur was better. So I basically quit running after that. I was like, you know, my body's trying to tell me something. Uh, so that's when I got serious uh, about lifting and, you know, started to follow field strong and, and whatnot. So as for what I'm training for right now, honestly, like my work schedule is all over the fucking place. Like I'm going to be in Kenya for two weeks this July and like I'm going all over the place. So my main training goal is just have some level of consistency and not lose what I got. Um, I've been working towards a 400 pound squat for a while and I finally got that not too long ago uh, while, wear, while wearing my eat the week shirt. Huh. So, you know, I guarantee for I at least another 10%. That's correct. Absolutely. hundred percent. Um, so yeah, just trying to maintain what I got there and just not lose it with like insane work travel.
1: We got to get you on grindstone. Yeah. He's a grindstone guy now.
2: We probably do. We probably do. Uh, so when you go to Kenya and you see the Maasai warrior, uh, like I'd like to see, um, I'm always fascinated by the fact that they can jump like seven feet in the air with straight legs. Like it's all like ankle dorsiflexion plant. Like it's crazy to watch those guys jump. And they're also super tall. They're always like, you know, like five or uh, sorry, six five, six seven. They're all super tall dudes. Yeah, freaks. Yeah, weirdos are that tall. <laughs> yeah. I was looking
3: at you and I was like five <laughs> six. You were looking at me like, yeah, they're also tall, like five eight, <laughs>
4: <laughs> like five six and a half, like like, like real tall. <laughs> Uh, uh, well, i will no. <laughs> when i'm out there with the Maasai in july i will i will ask them the secrets of their ways and see if i can bring that back so that it can form some program uh, for we could use we'll a little bit of everyone picture. everyone in the power athlete world jumping like Maasai warriors uh
2: Ooh, we'd it'd be cool if we could get a picture when they do their little uh they do their hops if we could get you in there with them get trying to do a picture we, we do do Maasai jumps in Strong. we do yeah we do that's what we call them, yeah then. I'll be damned. I, uh, I had a guy the other day tell me he couldn't figure out the uh, the cocky walks, and I, then I well, when I hit him back, he he only follows the program for the emails. Uh, he doesn't click through and see the demo, and I was like, Ugh. well, didn't see the that whole one. point. There, pal. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. Uh, I don't have time to log into the app. I'm just following. It. I'm like, well, that's going to be a problem.
1: Oh, logged in. Like, that's
3: it. or the Athlete YouTube channel also has. Cocky walks and movement demos available oh. if you find yourself reading off the email. Huh. Mm. That's a good
1: one. Mm. 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 So, how, yeah. how would you get to YouTube?
3: Uh, through the same thing you're looking at your email from.
1: No, Where? you don't know anything. The any. computer?
3: The files are in the, <laughs> are com- in in the, the computer.
1: computer. Oh. Tex, have you taken our information systems training yet? Yes. And you passed?
3: I I have not. I have not.
1: I'm not worried about you over there. I'm worried about CD-ROM over here, you know?
3: Oh, you need me to burn you
1: something?
2: The files are inside. the Yeah, computer. <laughs> uh, I just want some animals that will defend themselves. Just, dude, like the Like I said, dude, my neighbor gets his uh, goats killed all the time. I'm like, I don't know. Like I've kept kids, and they're always like, oh look, there's baby goats, and they want to go name them, and I'm like, God, do you imagine if like. Like I had to deal with the crisis of uh, the bird getting eaten by the snake today. And I can't even imagine if like we're missing half of our goats. Uh, It's just uh, like the kids like it's just like having these conversations like they're all like standing around crying because this snake ate. I'm like, it's nature. It's Texas. It's weird shit. And then I try to give them like this is a metaphor for life that no matter how uh, far up and how how much you protect your nest, snakes are always going to get in and eat your babies. So don't go out of the house. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then my wife's like, <laughs> No. No. <laughs> Wrong
1: metaphor. <laughs> yeah. I was like,
2: no, that one didn't make any sense.
1: Too okay. much. But well Bobby, if you're out in Austin, man, and I guess number one, we got symposium coming up in December, that's a few months off. But if something comes Hell up yeah. in the interim, we'll definitely reach out to you.
4: I would I would love to get on back there uh, because last time I passed on through I think I was only at HQ for like 45 minutes or so so we'll have to pop in get a workout you know see some of them animals that you got going on and then maybe we can all go out to Rome Ranch again because I don't see you getting bison out there anytime soon John so we'll just just use Rome as your local are you suggesting
3: we steal one like in the Hangover one we need two precision drivers I
2: was thinking like I like uh, I was. My goal is to how try to... How hard could it be to
1: steal a bison? Let's be honest.
2: Uh, no, I I have a... You guys know I'm always scheming, like, master plans. I'm like, how much land do I need? What I need is, a, is the savory people to sign off on it. You have enough land for two bison. And then what will happen is you guys will come to work and be like, are those bison out there? I'll be like, yeah, we got them. Uh, Bobby signed off on it. <laughs> <laughs> like, was he out here? Yeah, no, we brought him out here. I didn't tell you guys, but we got bison now. And that's... Okay. Uh, I- I'm I'm just
4: going to say now I did not sign off on that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> For the record. Let the
4: record show. <laughs> the record show. Let the record show. The record did uh, not approve of that.
1: Cow I I don't really
2: yeah. like cows. I think that uh I just don't like them. I like buffalo better. I think in a in, in a battle like um one bison would kill like 20 cows.
1: I think that's fair. And then we eat them. Yeah, I don't see a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We could do that. Yeah. Well, Bobby, hey man, I guess he, where, where should people go? You, so we, we have Savory.global. Uh, yep. Is there like a social presence that folks should follow for you?
4: Yep. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, our handle on most of those is at Savory Institute. Um, so follow along. There's some cool stuff, you know, looking at infographics. Um, actually, thinking about infographics, there was one thing that I think people would be interested to see. So you know that farm I was mentioning earlier with all the bald eagles? Yes. Uh, down in Georgia they did a life cycle analysis recently on all the different greenhouse gas emissions that happen on their farm. So, you know, what comes from the manure emissions, what comes from the belching of the cattle, what comes from the processing and like the trucking and moving things around, all those different things. And then looking at the carbon sequestration, you know, what happens, you know, the carbon that's drawn into the soil. And it did a full life cycle accounting of that and showed that it was a net carbon sink. So even including the methane that they're emitting, which is the main piece that people are like, oh, but livestock emit methane. They analyzed this, a full life cycle analysis. It is a net carbon sink because of how much they are sequestering down into the soil. There's also these methanotropes, which are methane oxidizing bacterial species, basically little critters in the soil that if you have healthy soils, they eat the methane. That's like their fuel source. So even though cows emit methane and that's a problem, They're sequestering and oxidizing more into the soil than they give off. So it's a net benefit to the environment to have those animals there. And then they took that lifestyle, uh, that life cycle analysis a step further and they analyzed it to different protein sources. So they analyzed conventional beef, they analyzed poultry, pork. They also looked at the Impossible Burger. And Beyond Meat, you know, all those faux meats that are coming out that everyone's like raving about. And like you go to a, a nice no. burger joint and you see Impossible Burger advertised. No. and they're Like, what no. the fuck? No, no,
2: uh, I'll riot. I mean, like if.
4: <laughs> no. Whole, no. Uh, no,
2: whole Shit. no, no, bullshit. no, no. And, Let me tell
1: you. I like, ever tell you you the case of the Mondays?
2: <laughs> no, if i fucking get your ass kicked. I think if I went to a burger place, I'd be like on like the news, be like, uh, this guy went to a burger place. They tried to give him fake meat. He rioted and burnt that place to the ground. That man was John Wellborn.
4: <laughs> I got no problem with yeah, so on that one. So they compared the the um, the carbon emissions, a full carbon accounting for conventional beef. Conventional beef was a plus thirty three. So that's plus thirty three CO two equivalents per kilogram of meat. They looked at Beyond Meat. Beyond Meat was a plus three point five. Impossible Burger was a plus four. So all of these are still a net emitter. You know, they are destroying the environment. They are releasing more carbon into the atmosphere through their production. Like that's just, they're a bad thing. They are a negative to the environment. And then... White oak pastures, they're regeneratively raised with holistic management. Their beef was a net carbon sink, and it was the only protein source that is a net benefit to the environment compared to all these other things out there. So people can come out and say that the impossible burger and beyond meat and all these other things are a better solution compared to conventional beef. You know, a plus 3.5 is much better than a plus 33, it's causing a lot less damage. But we don't just need to move in the direction of doing less bad. We need to move in the direction of doing actual good. And regenerative agriculture is the only thing that's doing actual good and giving us hope for turning back the clock, you know, those 60 years of harvest left of buying us more time so that we can have a better planet to leave for future generations.
1: Fucking preach, Bobby. God damn that. Boom. I got goosebumps.
4: Shut it down. Let's go home too.
1: Dude, thanks for your time. Thanks for chatting with us. Appreciate you, it, gentlemen. Empower athletes. Appreciate it. Get on, get on it. Get on the Savory Institute. Get on the newsletter. Get on their social. Stay plugged in. We're hey, we're an army that can make help make this change. Let's fucking do it. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. What other than that? Eat, eat better meat. Bye, buddy. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're
0: idiots. Drop on, drop on. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Please check out www.savory.global for more information about the Savory Institute and how to get involved. You can also make a donation to this nonprofit organization and learn about how they've been utilizing the funds to educate farmers worldwide. Until next time, bye!